What is going on, everybody? I am Cole Morganti, and you are listening to the Came Unto Christ Ministries podcast. We talk about Jesus, Joseph Smith, and everything concerning Mormonism and Christianity. We don't think they're the same. But we're devoted to reaching Latter-day Saint population with the true gospel of grace. If you're a Latter-day Saint, I hope you listen to what we have to say. If you're not, I hope you learned something for today's episode. But cozy up as we talk about the most important things in life. And I leave you with this, John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Let's get into it. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Came Unto Christ podcast. I'm your host, Cole Morganti, and I am back here with Will Hendrick. How you doing, Will? I'm doing great. Happy to be here. Yeah, so uh, Will and I, Stan couldn't be here, unfortunately, so Will and I are hopping on to give you guys some good content, and actually, before we jump into our topic, uh, I just want to congratulate Will, he told (laughs) me right before we started recording, he has now um, uh, upgraded to, what, the third level of white belt in jiu-jitsu. I got my third stripe on my white belt, so basically a professional. (laughs) Are uh, Are the stripes white also? The stripes are white. Okay, so it's just white. It's just white on white. Well, it's like a white belt, and then there's a black bar on the end of one of the uh, ends of the belt. So you uh-huh. put the stripes on the black bar, so you can see. Okay, I was thinking yeah. it was like some like double white, like off white kind of thing. Cause I'm <laughs> thinking like like oh that like Stephen Furtick's probably gonna wear that like next time he's up on stage. <laughs> you know, like he's like he's got the white on white. No, <laughs> Stephen Furtick fans are are exiting out of the podcast right now (laughs) coming to an nar preacher near you the (laughs) the third level of jujitsu belt no so um today uh will and i have a really uh interesting topic for you guys one that uh both of us are very passionate about um and it has to do in the realm of just christian apologetic we're actually today we're going to take um this episode to step away from talking about mormonism take a day to step away about talking about joseph smith and today, we just want to focus on um, why we believe what we believe, and we want to offer um, our listeners, whether they are Christian or whether they are Latter-day Saint, um, for reasons to believe in Jesus aside from the Book of Mormon or aside from, you know, blind faith, if, you know, if you're a Christian and you've ever actually thought about this kind of stuff. Um, and so we're going to be going over evidence for the resurrection, so we're going to be giving you reasons, objective reasons, not just, you know, oh, I, oh, I think it's true because I feel it um, and, and, I, and I prayed about it, but rather I can look at these things and I can say, oh my gosh, Jesus really did rise from the dead. Um, and uh, so what, what do you got to say about that, Will? I just love talking about this kind of stuff because I remember when I first started looking into apologetics and like reading these things and hearing people's arguments and it blew me away because I mean I just always thought Christianity and the resurrection stuff that we just we believed it but like I certainly can't give evidence for this or prove it and I think that's what a lot of Christians believe that you know that a lot of the positions that they have, they just, well, we believe it, but, you know, it's just kind of by faith, meaning blind faith, instead of mm-hmm. having an apologetic, as Peter tells us to have an apologetic for the hope that is within us. And so I guess my hope with this is if nobody or someone in this podcast listening uh, is 
an introduction to apologetics to them or if they've never heard specifically evidence for the resurrection that you know i think this will be a really exciting episode for them Mm -hmm. and what's actually great about this evidence um piece is that we're not only appealing to the bible when it comes to this kind of thing now um appealing to the bible isn't bad after you know we've established that it is a um it is a historical, well-documented source. Like, it, it's a good source for history. Like, uh, historians that study, you know, the, the turn from B.C. to Common Era, you know, when they when they go to the first century, th- a lot of them use the Bible for a lot of their study. Because even even in Luke alone, there's, there's dozens of cities that have been, like, verified just from Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and, like, Acts, like, all the cities and all the rulers he names. And, like, they're all... <laughs> historically accurate so to know that the bible is historically accurate is one should really you know encourage us in our faith that we're not just believing some hokey poke thing but actually this actually happened in real space and time and what we want to show with this episode is that if jesus really did rise from the dead in real space and time then it's the most important thing to have ever happened in in the history of the world and that's why we're just so excited about that, you know, because then that means his message is true. And that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. You know, <laughs> if he, if this, if this guy rises from the dead, uh, you know, I'm going to trust that guy. I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to do what he says. <laughs> it's important to note too, that like when we're doing this and appealing to other sources, we're not saying that the Bible is insufficient to, mm-hmm. to uh, demonstrate the, the resurrection, but we do have outside sources that do just show the validity of scripture, the his, the um, historical accuracy from first century historians that are perfectly in line with the Bible. And I think there's no reason why we shouldn't be also using these things. You know, of course, we profess that the Bible is the ultimate authority. But, I mean, there's no reason for us to not also use these other resources when we have them, when back way back when other people didn't have all the resources that we do, we should utilize them. And with that said, um, I think we should get into it. What do you think, Will? Let's do it. Awesome. And so um, the very first thing that I want to um, ask our audience, you know, to our listeners right now, um, and you can even pause uh, this podcast after I ask this question and think about it for a little bit before you continue. But if you found out if if tomorrow on the news it it plastered all over cnn fox everything and we found jesus's bones dug up right and we knew they were jesus's bones a hundred percent certain you could not we could not be wrong if there was a way to do the dna test let's say we figured it out and we just know these are jesus's bones and we found them dug up tomorrow on the news, and you could not be wrong about this if you were certain it was Jesus, would you still be a Christian if tomorrow we found Jesus's bones? Now, I'll let you think about that for a second, and so you can pause now. All right, well, hopefully either you paused or you thought about this question, and the reason I pose this question is because it's a really big deal <laughs> because, um, and, and, and not to offend anybody if they, if they said yes in this, because um, I once believed yes also, but actually Paul, 
addresses this topic kind of like himself (laughs) in scripture. And we actually learn that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead and his bones, like his bones were found, then this is all for nothing. You know, yeah. In first Corinthians 15, Paul lays this out verses 14 through 19. Um, and I'm just going to read this real quick, and then, Will, you can um, step in. So here's what Paul says about this topic himself. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain. And not just that, your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ had been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those that have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And then here's the big line. If in Christ we have hope in this life only and not the next, we are of all people most to be pitied. Now, we kind of unpacked that for us, Will. So, I mean, first off, Paul, I mean, is just extremely clear here. There, you know, there's not, I mean, a whole lot more to add on to it, but it just emphasizes how important it is that Christ, the, the bodily resurrection of Jesus is so important because the implications of Christ not rising from the dead are tremendous. One, if he didn't, he is not the God-man. He is not the Messiah. He is not our Savior. And if Mm -hmm. he's not our Savior, then as he said, then we are still in our sins. Mm -hmm. We are not only are we are we worshiping someone who didn't rise from the dead, but we are actually, as Paul says, misrepresenting God. This whole time we're proclaiming. Christ as Messiah and and the second person of the Trinity and the God man if he did not rise from the dead I mean our preaching and the things we've been saying are blasphemous towards God and surely he would be angry with people doing so and giving this um giving this man the status of being truly God and truly man if that's not true like he says, we are of all people most to be pitied. We are, we are giving our lives and, and devoting ourselves to a myth. One hundred percent, will I mean, and I don't want to offend anybody if this is them, because um, this was once me. Because um, I, I would always think, you know, oh, well, I would still believe in Jesus because you know, without Jesus, I have no hope, right? Um, Jesus gives me hope. Christianity gives me hope, something to look forward to. But what kind of hope is it if you know that it's fake? If you know that it's not real, you know, like you're put, you're, you're, you're basically admitting that you, you would put your hope in something that there is no hope. I mean, like, cause Jesus wouldn't have raised from the dead. And your whole point is he rose from the dead. <laughs> I mean, that's, that, that's the hinge of Christianity is that Jesus came and died for our sins and rose again um, to save us. And so without that, you don't have the gospel. And that, that's a big deal. And, and, and the reason we want to go through this evidence is because um, we don't want anybody to think that there's not a good reason to believe in Jesus. Um, at least for me personally, 
Um, I, w- I want to talk to and affect as much people as I can to where when they get when they meet God on Judgment Day, and you know, forbid they never become a believer, and they stand before God, it won't be the intellectual or the intellect or the pseudo intellectual reasons. You know, I want people to know that the only reason that they'd be rejecting God is because they love their sin and they did not love the truth. Yeah. And for those, you know, LDS, you know, we want to give you a reason to believe Jesus even when the Mormon church fails. We don't want you to throw the baby out with the bathwater. That's the last thing we would ever want, right? We we want you to know that Christ, the true Christ is real, even if he was marred in, in, in imitation in this, in, in this religion. Especially when so many LDS, they leave, or even really any religion when they they're in it for their whole lives and then leave it they veer off they, the pendulum swings to the other side and they're either like a staunch atheist or just they don't, they don't care altogether and they just go off the hinges and just to remind them that no look even if you have come to the conclusion that the mormon church has lied to you there is still ample evidence to believe what the bible says and also question or and deal with the fact that they've probably lied to you about a lot of things that the Bible says. So figure that out for yourself. And that, like you said, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Even if their false Christ you found out isn't true, there's still the one true Christ of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and, and, and that's the goal. I mean, that's what, that's what you're going to be judged by is who do you say Jesus is? And lastly, before we get into the meat of the presentation, we want to give you these reasons because <laughs> when people come to you and say, Jesus didn't rise from the dead, how could you believe a 2,000-year-old book? No, 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 whatever, <laughs> you know? Um, you can say, oh, well, let's talk about that because people will say, there's contradictions in the Gospels, there's this, there's that. And we want to give you the, the tools and the information to say, hey, let's actually talk about that because maybe they've never even heard it, you know? Um, and so this is also for strengthening your own faith if you're a believer listening to this. All right, so let's get into let's get into the presentation. I am going to prove um, to you that the resurrection is the best theory available to us to account for what happened to Jesus of Nazareth in the first century. Okay, and I'll do that, or Will and I will do that using five facts. Okay, and here are the five facts: Jesus died by crucifixion. His disciples believed that he rose and appeared to them. All right, that this this is important. The disciples believed that he rose and appeared to them. The church persecutor Paul, Saul of Tarsus, was suddenly changed. The skeptic James, Jesus's half brother, was suddenly changed, and finally that the tomb was empty. So I'm going to use those five facts to be able to. Um, so basically, whatever theory um, anybody, not just atheists, not just Latter-day Saints, not, um, not Muslims because they don't believe that Jesus died on the cross, they have to account for these five facts that I'm going to try to prove to you. And whichever theory is the best, that's the one we should choose. Okay? And, I, and, and I'm going to make the case that without the resurrection that you cannot make sense of these five facts. All right? Okay, so let's move on. So the first fact. Jesus died by crucifixion. How do we know this? Well, first off, 
um, the Gospels, in all four Gospels, crucifixion is recorded. Christ's execution is recorded in all four of them. Now, you could say, I don't believe in the Bible. I don't believe in the Gospels. That's a biased source. Okay, well, that's fine. Because <laughs> we have um, we have non-biblical sources that tell us that Jesus died by crucifixion. All right? We have, and they're early, too. We, ha- we have Josephus, who wasn't a believer. He was a Jewish historian in the first century. He records Jesus' death. Now, a lot of people get really upset when they hear Jose- Christians using Josephus because they'll say, oh, the Christians changed what Josephus said, and da 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 And that's, I mean, okay, that's fine. And, 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 and honestly, I'm all agree that it is true. The evidence does show that it looks like Christians did change what Josephus said. But even if we take out the part that Christians changed, because the only part they really added was that Jesus was the Messiah or the claimed Messiah. But if you take that out, guess what Josephus still says? that Jesus died by crucifixion. That's all we're trying to prove at this point. Tacitus, another Roman historian, he says that Jesus died by crucifixion. And he actually goes to note um, that uh, he was actually condemned by Pilate. Um, And so does the Babylonian, um, oh no, sorry, not the Babylonian. Well, the third thing is the Babylonian Talmud, um, which I believe is around 220, is it 220 or three? I think it's 220 AD. Um, And it also mentions that Jesus died by crucifixion, all right? And so Tacitus and Josephus also confirm that Pilate is in association with this. Pilate is the one that condemned him, all right? Um, that that's, that's a really big piece also, I think, because atheists for so long said that Pilate never existed. We have no records of him. He, he's, he, he's not even a real figure. The, the biblical authors made him up. But then <laughs> last century, we come across in, uh, oh my gosh, I, I forget where it is exactly. I want to say somewhere in Israel. But we come across a tablet. And in the tablet is engraved Pontius Pilate's name. <laughs> and I, I would just have loved to just travel back in time and just see those leading atheist historians' faces when they saw that Pontius Pilate was a real person. <laughs> oh, so, um, and then uh, finally, I just have a, um, a quote from John Dominic Croson, um, who's a historian as well, and he says, that he, Jesus, was crucified is as sure as anything historical can ever be. We don't have any other evidence anywhere that says that Jesus died another way. So, uh, any thoughts on that, Will? Uh, I just wanted to point out that it's interesting how people are so quick to point out or just say that, well, it's in the Bible, so I don't, you know, I don't believe the Bible. So, how, but but the reality is that the Bible was written down by eyewitnesses of what happened during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses, and it's recorded in four men the account of four different men and people like Josephus who again like you said well Christians people claim that well Christians change everything but regarding we'll just stick we'll just stick with the crucifixion it's shown that every copy that we have of Josephus writings has this stuff in it and it was not changed by Christians, but I understand why they would say something like that. Because when you read some of Josephus' writings regarding Jesus, it sounds extremely Christian when we know that he was not a Christian himself. He was a Jew. 
mm-hmm. the military leader. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's it's just a good thing to point out that um, again, we're just trying to prove the crucifixion, and if someone is to deny this point, a great thing to ask is just okay. Then what did happen? At least with this point, then how did he die? Because this is this this is this has to be the number one point of evidence here is that he just died by crucifixion. And I would say most serious secular scholars will acknowledge the fact that at least Jesus did die from crucifixion. Mm-hmm. Now, when I'm saying that, I'm not even touching on the resurrection yet, but they will point out that fact. Yeah, exactly. Um, sweet. And so that I, I hope that gives us at, at least. Um, every historical thing that we have about Jesus does say that he died by crucifixion, even non-biblical sources, which again, um, Josephus, Tacitus, the Babylonian Talmud, you can look up um, for yourself and see um, those kinds of things. Okay, so the second point, the second point is that the disciples believed that he rose and appeared to them. So this point, again, is we're trying to prove that the disciples truly did believe it, okay? All of them, all of them believed it and this is really important because i mean just this point alone of course doesn't prove the resurrection but the fact that the people who are with him in the first century believed it happened and were willing to die for it that at the very least gives it a lot of credibility and makes it something that we should look further into that if the people who were there when christ was on this earth believed it then we should seriously take into consideration what they have to say. So first off, they claimed it, um, and Paul even talks about it. Paul, Paul talks about how the, they, they claimed it, right, because he was killing people that claimed it. Um, and then there was this oral, tra- <laughs> there was this oral tradition um, that is probably the oldest you know, creed that we have, um, and it's in 1 Corinthians 15, which I think latest you can date is like 60 or 66 AD or something like that. So the latest you could date it is that. But uh, I actually do think there are some people that would even put this around the 40s. Um, But we have a creed uh, in 1 Corinthians 15 that talks about that Jesus rose from the dead, right? And then we have all the written works of the early church, the gospels and the early church fathers who were, these early church fathers were discipled by the 12 apostles. And so it's, they're hearing straight from them that they at least Again, that they at least believed it, and they at least believed that he rose and appeared, okay? And they believed it so much that they, we, we at least know a few, but there's good evidence that pretty much all of them were martyred, and none of them, none of them recanted their beliefs. And so, <clears throat> this, is, this is a big deal, because you don't, you don't die for something that you know is a lie, Right? And, and, and when it comes to them believing, you know, their lives were transformed after the resurrection. Th- think about the gospel accounts when they wrote these things. The, what we get from the gospel accounts is that the disciples were cowards yep. and that they ran away at Jesus's death. First off, why would you put these kind of details in? in what, like, when, th- think about what they have. Think about what the disciples, sorry. Think about what the disciples have to gain by lying about this. They put that they, they put numerous times when they defied Jesus, 
when they didn't live up to Jesus's standard, things like falling asleep in the garden when Jesus asked them to pray. They ran away at his death. Peter denies him three times. Yep. These are added in the Gospels. When you start a religion, what are you trying to do? Make yourself look bad? No, you wouldn't do that, right? And so, and the disciples claimed that Jesus appeared to many people, even 500 people at a time. And again, we get that from 1 Corinthians uh, 15. And Paul even says in 1 Corinthians, he says, if you don't believe me, go talk to the other people. Because Paul says, there are still eyewitnesses alive. Yep. If you don't believe me, go talk to them. All right? And again, this gets into, is the Bible... Um, reliable can we use it as a reliable um, historical source we kind of we talked about that um, in our first podcast episode um, when we talked about just the validity of scripture um, so we won't get into that in this episode but obviously we believe it is and for Paul to say something like this is a lot shows a lot of confidence on his part that these people also back up his statement and they went around proclaiming a physical bodily resurrection and we get evidence from this, um, such as when Thomas was doubting and Jesus said for him to feel the holes in his hands, right? Also, Jesus, uh, when he appeared to the disciples, he asked for some food to eat. They hand him a fish and he eats it. Now, a lot of people might miss the significance in that, but it's because Jesus is showing them a ghost can't eat. <laughs> yep. You know, you, 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 put, you put a fish in your mouth, that's, it's falling straight to the floor. Um, and again, in 1 Corinthians, um, this is said. Um, and so, Will, do you want to take um, this next point for us? Yeah, so then we come to the question, what did the New Testament writers have to gain by making up a new religion? And on that note, if these were just people trying to make up this system, this new religion, they did a terrible job at trying to, because the claims that they made were so would so easily be falsifiable like Jesus's resurrection and appearing to 500 people if these things didn't happen it would be so easy to prove that they did not happen and Christianity very well could have maybe not even make it out of the first second century they they had nothing to gain they were they were beaten multiple times and even through those beatings and being martyred, they did not change their story at all. They did not light up on the message to make it a little more easier for people to hear. So maybe they wouldn't get beat when they're saying it. They did not change anything. Let's bring Mormonism into this as the Mormon church has shifted its views based on the based on society and society allowing society to change things like blacks in the priesthood that's just one example of many whereas um the disciples they did not waver on their message whatsoever regardless of the consequences which shows at the very least that they truly believed the things that they were saying and they had the consequences of whether what they believed was eternal life and you also have to think about the motives too like how would this religion get off the ground when you have these guys going around saying hey hey guys new new religion new religion this guy rose from the dead and um and um if you want to follow him you know you put your faith in him and then oh how do you live faithful to him deny yourself of all your fleshly desires and live holy you know people people wouldn't just do that for fun they, they didn't have anything to gain you know what are what are what are the what are the three things that our flesh that um 
that that people desire the most it's money sex and power Did the disciples get sex out of this no <laughs> paul was even paul was even abstinent right did they get um money no they were poor paul lived off support they and and, and they tra- they traveled everywhere you know <laughs> paul paul made his living being a tent maker that kind of thing so they didn't gain money and did they gain power no they did not gain power they were brutally murdered for their beliefs so at, at some point you have to think what wh- what are they thinking if this is a lie at what point do you say hey guys i'm lying no please don't kill me i don't want to die <laughs> i was just trying to make a quick buck or something like that and when that inkling of power did show up when people were bowing down to them what did they do they mourned and tore they- their clothes because they were they hated that these people were worshiping them they denied exactly. it instantly the last thing they wanted was power. They were there to proclaim Christ and Christ crucified, not for them to gain some sort of high power in society. And that would have been the perfect moment for them to take those people's worship, but they denied it instantly and they mourned over it. Mm-hmm. And that, that seems to go um, a, at least a little bit against kind of what I hear in a, another religion that we uh, know decently well. <laughs> Um, and, and don't now I, I don't get me wrong. I'm, I am not saying that Joseph Smith claimed to be God. I'm not saying that any of the prophets do. Um, but I am just saying it from what it seems like the way in which Joseph Smith lived his lifestyle, it does seem, um, antithetical to what we read in the New Testament, at least about the apostles. Um, and, uh, but that's not what this episode's about. And maybe we can touch on it in future, but I don't want to offend anybody by that, but that is just what I believe. Um, but then it takes us to the, but, but, but this, this point specifically takes us to, um, an argument that we hear from a lot of people. And the fact is that it's, it's many people have died for their beliefs. What makes the apostles different, right? Because we see things like 9-11. I mean, we, we see things even in today, the, you know, suicide bombers, um, um, uh, Islamist extremists, um, not to just point out, you know, Islam, but you know, there are, uh, there's obviously people in other religions as well. Um, but just to make the point, um, we see these Islamist extremists, you know, they're dying for what they believe. The people that flew those planes into the world trade center knew, or, or at least believed with their whole heart that their belief was true. And they were doing this thing for God, you know? So what makes them different than the disciples? Because the disciples, you know, they died for their belief, but so do these extremists. So, uh, so see, people can die for what they believe in. But the big difference here is that the people that flew the plane into the buildings, they're dying for an inherited belief, not something that they are claiming they firsthand saw. The people that flew into the plane are not Muhammad saying that an angel appeared to them, that Allah talked to them, right? The people flying in this building are being told the story and they're putting their full faith in that story. These disciples are saying themselves, no, I saw Jesus with my own eyes. Paul said it, all the apostles said it, 500 said it, and they said, no, I saw this man rose from the dead. So the, they knew whether they were making it up or not. That's that's the big difference because if they knew they were making it up, then they know it's a lie, uh, and and unlike the plane, you know, you know, if if you knew it was a lie, you could maybe fly the plane up until the end. You're like, okay, I'm gonna back out. Like I know this stuff isn't true, 
I'm not going to risk my life over this. But, but we don't see that from the disciples. We see, I know this is true. And if you're going to kill me, kill me. And if the martyrdom of the disciples was the only evidence we had for the resurrection, I could see this argument being a stronger argument, but it is one thing that just adds on to the mound of things that we have to show of the validity of the resurrection. So all of these points by themselves are not like points to like, boom, this, and this is why the resurrection is true, but that the collectiveness of, of all of these things point to the crucifixion, point to the resurrection. And I think you would have to deny history and just good sound reasoning to hear all of this and still deny that Christ was resurrected. Yeah. And so uh, we've been through two points so far. I mean, we still have three more to go. Again, like, like Will just said, this is a cumulative case. So any theory, I'm sure, yeah, you could come up with a theory that could probably combat this point, but you need to come up with a theory that combats for all five of these points. You know, if you're going to deny one, you're going to have to account for the others. Because um, I, I do think that these five facts are at least the, the most verifiable um, out, of, out of the rest. So our third point is specifically the changed life of Paul slash Saul of Tarsus. So he went from being a persecutor of the church, Christianity, to becoming the greatest evangelist ever. <laughs> like this man touched, especially, especially back then, you know, before we even like knew the world, this man went like to Asia, uh, in the Middle East, up, down, left, right. This, th this, this man did insane work for, for these Christians when earlier in his life, he was actually killing them. And the reason we know this is because he says this himself. He says, you know, I was a persecutor of the church. And Luke also records this in Acts. And we based and and also we know from Luke's gospel in Acts that Luke, he was the historian. He was the one going around interviewing eyewitnesses, talking to all these people, bringing together this big cumulative story that of all these eyewitness accounts. And even in that, it says, you know, Paul was a persecutor. And the story was circling among, circulating among Christians in Galatia. And we read that in his own letter in Galatians about how all they knew was that he wasn't a Christian, hated the church, and became one. He states that he was converted off of primary evidence. And what was that primary evidence? That Jesus appeared to him. And he lived a persecuted life, very persecuted life, and he died a martyr's death for his belief in that Jesus was God. And we know that he lived and, and we know that he died as a martyr because of a bunch of early church history accounts, um, literally uh, end of first century, second century, Ignatius, Polycarp, um, Dionys I, I always mess up his name, but Dionysus of Corinth, um, Arrhenius, Tertullian, all these people tell us that Paul was martyred. And even in, even in his own gospels, in the gospels, even in his own letters, Paul says, he's like, I know, he's like, I know death is coming for me. Um, but, but even, even if he didn't die a martyr, that's also a point in and of itself is that he said, I know death is coming for me. And he was content with it. Yep. If he was lying and it, he, all he had to do was just go back to the Pharisees. All he had to do was just go back to the old uh, Judaic system 
and be accepted by his kinship. But instead, he knew he was going to die for this change, and he went with it, and he was okay with it. I think that I, I think that speaks volumes in and of itself. I mean, yeah, again, like, what does Paul have to gain by joining this false religion? I mean, he was, I mean, he's an esteemed man. He was a learned man. He was, you know, as he claims, you know, Pharisee of Pharisees, Jew of Jews. Yeah, he, he, he was like, the top dog. Like, he had no, there was no gain in him abandoning all this and being a traveling missionary for the rest of his life, being beaten multiple times getting shipwrecked and bit by the snake and and all and killed all these things for you know he just decided to leave the lifestyle he had to join this lie i mean Mm -hmm. a lie that he hated (laughs) a lie that he was killing other christians for yeah and so um in galatians just he says in his own words Uh, In chapter 1, verse uh, 23, he says, They, the Galatians, only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of him, because of his uh, change, and he he was saved. Um, That is something to praise God about. So that's the changed life of Paul. So you're going to need a theory that can account for the changed life of Paul. The disciples believed that Jesus rose from the dead and the fact that he did die, okay? Um, and then we get to the changed life of James. So James, for those that don't know, is Jesus' half-brother. Um, and he did not believe that Jesus was a Christian. This is recorded. Or he did not. <laughs> Jesus was a Christian. He did not. <laughs> That's funny. Jesus, he did not believe that Jesus rose from the dead, okay? Or that he even was um the Messiah. He, 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 he was an unbeliever of Jesus and who he was throughout his entire life. And, and, and John, John uh, records this in his gospel in chapter 7. Um, but he became a believer. Now, why did he become a believer? 1 Corinthians 15, in that creed, it lists James as one of the people that Jesus appeared to after the resurrection. And then, after that resurrection... James, this unbelieving half-brother, is then identified as a leader of the Jerusalem church. So not, not, not you know, Orthodox Judaism or, or Rabbinical Judaism, I should say, um, but the church in, the Christian church in Jerusalem, you know, the ones that believe in Jesus. And this is recorded in Acts. And then, and then here's the biggest piece of evidence is that James, who was not a follower— was persecuted and he ultimately was martyred for his belief and we know this even from non-biblical source because his death isn't recorded there but it is recorded somewhere else in josephus this historian which by the way is held up by everybody as one of the best first century historians period ever um ever but you know like he was just one of the best at the time and and he records it you know james was tossed off the the top of um oh what's it called the, the top either the top of the synagogue but basically that really that big high top building you know the the pharisees they threw him off and then he fell to the bottom and then he, and they stoned him and so we need to account for this why did james who was a non-believer the entire time he grew up with jesus <laughs> he grew up with jesus he he obviously knew about his ministry heard about his miracles heard that this was his half brother and yet did not believe that he was the Messiah. 
But then, all of a sudden, he gets word that he rose from the dead. He saw that, he, he apparently saw that he rose from the dead. And then he was so convinced by this that he ended up dying for this belief. Um, I mean, how do you explain that if not the resurrection? All right, so we have the changed life of James, who personally knew Jesus. We have the changed life of Paul, who didn't personally know Jesus. We have the disciples believed that he rose from the dead, and we have that Jesus died by crucifixion. So we know that he died at least, right? So he died at least. Now, why are all these people claiming he rose from the dead, right? Right. Um, anything on that before we go to our last point, Will? Uh, James was a smart man for believing the guy that rise from the dead. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was. Hey, he saw it and he said, "I was wrong." <laughs> he he goes. He goes. You're right. <laughs> to You're give right. James a little credit. Imagine being the half brother and you're a <laughs> sinful man and your half brother's a sin the sinless son of God who <laughs> never does anything wrong. You'd probably be a little annoyed with that guy. <laughs> like 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 like. Could you could you imagine them growing up and Mary's just James? Why can't you be more like your brother? Like, <laughs> and he, he's like, he's like, how am I supposed to do that? Yeah. <laughs> He doesn't mess up. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, so we need a theory that accounts for these things. And then finally, um, the last fact. Now, I'm going to give you this fact. And then we're going to have – we have a few more points. Um, just we're, we're going to go over some objections um, that people claim to these facts. And we'll, tell, we'll show you why they don't work. Um, but so this last fact is the fact that Jesus' tomb was empty. I love this one. Now, this is the least agreed upon on the, of the minimal facts. Um, the minimal facts theory this is what it is. Um, only 75% of scholars believe this, which let's just take it. Hold on. Let's just take a second. The least agreed upon fact in this list is that Jesus's tomb was empty. And only, only about 75% of scholars believe it. And especially like, like scholars is such a broad term you know i don't think we know whether these are like seminary professors or secular scholars mm -hmm. or anything like that so i mean i think that that makes it even more kind of profound that it's still 75 percent, and that's the least agreed upon one when scholars doesn't mean you know christian scholars yeah exactly yeah these are non-believers in this stat as well and the most contention we have is one out of four people you know you would think there'd be a lot more for something like this, you know? So here, here's where we get the evidence for this. And the first thing I want to call, talk about is it's called the Jerusalem factor. And here it is. Christianity, it's impossible for Christianity to get off the ground in Jerusalem if Jesus's body is in the tomb. Impossible. And here's why. Mary Magdalene runs into town screaming, right? Jesus, Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. The tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. All the, all the disciples, the tomb's empty. Jesus is gone. The tomb's empty. If the tomb wasn't empty, do you know what, do you know what I would do as a Roman soldier or, or, or a Jewish leader? I'd walk over to the tomb. I'd open the tomb. I'd see his body is still there. I'd gate that body, tie it to my chariot, and drag it across the city <laughs> and show everybody, yep. nope, his body's right here. It, it, it wasn't empty. Look, here's his body. Here's his body. It's right here. But where is it? And they didn't do that. And it's not like they didn't think about that. Think about it. If you have all these people saying the tomb's empty, the tomb's empty, they obviously went and checked, and there's nothing there. So 
again, we're not proving, we're not trying to prove that that means something else. All we're, all we're trying to prove right now is that the tomb was empty. Okay. And then we have enemy attestation. Early critics accused disciples of stealing the body. Now, what does that mean? If the tomb wasn't empty, why would you accuse the disciples of stealing the body? Just go yep. get the body. But no, the tomb had to be empty then. And this this is one of the funniest ones to me, the um, objections people make that, well, they probably just stole his body or something, but the logistics that has to go with the disciples stealing the body is insane. For one, it was surrounded by guards. Two, it was, there's a huge stone blocking the tomb. And these guards, well, people say, well, the guards could have been, like, asleep or missed them or something. No. If the disciples went and stole the body successfully, those guards know that they are all being executed. Oh, 100%. They're taking their job very seriously, making sure nobody touches that thing. Yeah, seriously. Not th- not this guy. Not this guy that could start a revolt or could start a movement like this. But no, a few fishermen came and sneaked past the guards, rolled the stone away, and took Jesus's body. Rolled like the t- yeah, the two-ton stone. Yeah, exactly. It just it just it doesn't make sense. And then thirdly, for this point, we have the testimony of women. Okay, now women, before you turn off the podcast, <laughs> let me explain this. <laughs> um, what this just means is that <laughs> before, um, in, in in ancient culture. Um, the woman's testimony was not held as in high regard as the man's. All right. So back then, um, if you're if you're if you're if you're an apostle, and let's say you know we're at our round table smoking our cigars, and we're coming up with this big story that we're about to mass produce across um, you know the entire Middle East somehow, and we're trying to figure out okay, let's tell the story about how he rose from the dead um, to start this movement. If you're making this up, you would not have women be the first eyewitnesses in the story because their their testimony isn't as held as high regard. And so what you want is because so what you would do is you'd say, no, I saw it. I saw the empty tomb and I saw the angels and they spoke to me. And, and, and I'm telling you, that's the point. But no, what do we get? We get a different story. Because it's the true story, and the and, and the disciples they don't care about this. They don't care about the fame. They don't care about the test, the validity of the testimony. They're just telling what happened. Yep. And what happened is, is that the women showed up. They saw it, and they came back and reported it. And then they went and checked for themselves. But again, if if you're trying to make this up and 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 spread it around all these cultures where women's um, um, uh, voice was not as held as in high. Uh, regard they weren't even allowed to testify in court yeah they weren't even allowed to testify in court yeah (laughs) and so why would you do this unless it was true (laughs) and so um that's that so that's what we want that's what we want to say about the empty tomb all right so now we've laid out those facts so now so now if someone wants to deny the resurrection now again we're not going to assume the resurrection but we could say if the resurrection actually happened it would account for these five facts, right? But any alternative theory would also have to account for these five facts. Jesus died by crucifixion. 
Jesus' disciples believed that he rose and appeared to them. The church persecutor Paul was suddenly changed. The skeptic James, brother of Jesus, was suddenly changed. And the tomb was empty. All right? Those five facts. Now, the resurrection explains all those five facts that I think we have evidence for. And if you deny them, I would contend that. I, I, I would think, you know, you're denying reality. So we, have to de- so we have to account for these five facts somehow. Even scholars agree on these five facts. Now we have to account for them, right? Yep. And then <laughs> we get into the fun part, the objections. Here are the main objections that we get now. And so, sorry, I, I just can't help but laugh when we get to this part. Cause I, just find it so fun. <laughs> I, I just find it so funny. So the number one leading objection to the resurrection right now um, by atheist scholars, um, by, by, uh, just by non-believers in general, is the hallucination theory. This is the number one regarded objection. And now you're probably thinking, what's the hallucination theory? It can't be the fact that they just thought they were all hallucinating. Well, guess what? It is. <laughs> that, 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 that's, that's the best they got against us. This is, is specifically that. regarding him revealing himself to 500 people, right? Yes, yes. So, so, this, so the hallucination theory is that the disciples, James, Paul, and sorry, the 12 disciples, James, Paul, and all the 500, they were all hallucinating, all of them. And so we're going we're gonna to touch on that in a little bit. Then we have fraud theories. And these theories are that the witnesses, um, like the women and whatnot, they went to the wrong tomb and they just found a different empty tomb. That, and I guess they forgot where Jesus was in three days. Um, then we have the apparent death theory where this is that Jesus didn't actually die on the cross. Now, this is actually really funny because I was talking to Will right before the podcast that there is a new theory going around, or a scholar just made this new theory claiming that Jesus didn't die on the cross and actually instead lived into his 70s and died in battle against Rome when uh, Israel got ransacked in, uh, in AD 70 and when the, when, the, when the second temple was destroyed. So that's interesting. <laughs> and so we'll talk about that. And then um, kind of what Will mentioned, the last theory that we'll be going over is that the disciples lied or stole the body. So they lied about the body, they stole the body, or someone else stole the body. Um, that would be the other theory. Then we'll, then we'll, touch, on, um, we'll touch on the claim that um, this story about Jesus is just um, from like old myths and from other religions, um, and that they, the, the disciples just, took, just stole this story. This is a very popular one. That's a very popular one. Yeah, it is. Um, especially nowadays when people won't go back and read those stories. They'll just be like, oh, yeah, my, my history professor said that um, something, pre- something predated Christianity and it sounded like Jesus, so they must have just stole it. Just about 100% of the time, the people saying that have never read the myths that they're claiming the Bible took from. So it's like... Yeah. Um, and then lastly, um, we're, we'll just touch on this for two seconds. Uh, people will say, well, rising from the dead is impossible. And we will just, and with that, we would just say, well, if God exists, then it is, then it's not impossible. So that's pretty much all we have to say about that. It presupposes naturalism. It presupposes naturalism. That's a good way to put it, Will, other than me just shrugging it off. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. So let's talk about the, let's talk about the hallucination theory. So this is the leading theory against the resurrection right now. The hallucination theory is the idea that Paul, James, the other apostles, and 500 independent witnesses 
all hallucinated and saw a risen Jesus or think that they saw a risen Jesus. Um, people will say things like Paul was having an eternal conflict where he felt bad for like murdering Christians. And they'll say things like the apostles and women were like grieving about Jesus's death. And, and then they'll talk to, they'll think they'll go to like acts when they were all like crying in the room at the very beginning. And I guess they just cried really hard that they all just saw Jesus appear. And then they all just were like, Oh, you saw that? Yeah, I saw that too. All right, I guess. And this theory attempts to naturally explain away the experiences claimed by the people in the first century. So here are the problems with it. Uh, I, I hope our listeners can even understand as well that the first problem really is, ha, have you ever heard of a collective hallucination before? It's even, This is disputed even between psychologists if this is even possible. But this has to account for believers and non-believers seeing Jesus, right? Because we have Paul and James who weren't believers claiming that they saw Jesus rise. And then we have believers claiming that they saw Jesus rise. And then with the 500 independent, some believed and some didn't, but they all said that they saw him. So how could, I, I, I just don't, I'm trying to think of like how chemically or how emotionally this would happen to where all these people would see this. The only thing I can think of, and it would be a horrible argument if someone said this, is that they were all taking psychedelic drugs but even then like they're not all they're still not all going to see the same thing that's not how hallucinogenics work yeah even that i'm sure someone's made that argument trying to show it off but even that and that's the only thing i can think of is a laughable argument well at least for me it's just i i've just never heard of a collective hallucination even happening so if i heard that two people hallucinated and saw the same thing I'd be like, that, that's kind of weird. I don't know if I believe you. Yep. And now you're claiming over 500? I don't know. Uh, at least for me. There's collective brainwashing. I don't know about hallucinations. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, take that with what you'll. But again, this hallucination theory does not account for James or Paul. I'm sure James was sad when his brother died. But I don't think that explains the fact that he would hallucinate him risen and, and then throw away his life, throw away what he had to, for him. And then also, and, and then also have that message confirmed, like James goes and he can, and he's like, and he goes to the other apostles and he's like, is this what happened? And he, and they're like, yeah. So he's like, Oh, so you had that same hallucination. Doesn't make sense <laughs> or not. He wouldn't say hallucination, obviously, but like the fact that, that hallucination would match up is just, I feel like that, 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 that just doesn't make any sense. Do you, do you get what I'm trying to say? I, obviously, they don't think it's a hallucination, but you know what I'm trying to say? It would have to be a miracle from God. <laughs> it would have to be a miracle from God. And this also doesn't, uh, this also doesn't account for Paul. Because um, we can talk about internal conflict, I guess. But I just don't see how that would even... First, if he did hallucinate, it's crazy. Because Paul even says that he goes to the disciples... One, it says that if you're going to say that, he says that he went away for three years. Now, this is disputed. Actually, Will and I were talking about this uh, a while ago, but that he went away for three years and was and, and, and was taught personally by Jesus. Now, is that true? Uh, some people say yes. Some people say no. Um, but take with that what you will. So he would, but even, let's say it is true. He's hallucinating for three years straight. Yep. And when he goes out of that, 
and meets the apostles like Peter and the others in the, in the Jerusalem council. And he says, this is the message. And they go, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah us too. Like, <laughs> yeah, same, yeah, same thing. And if it was all, how, how? It just, it just doesn't make sense. Grasping at straws. You're, you're gra- yeah, you really are. And again, like you said, it assumes naturalism. Yep. All right. So hopefully that kind of, expl- hopefully that, you know, gets our audience. You guys just understand that, at least for me, that's crazy. At least, Wills, that's crazy. And I hope for you that you you would be intellectually honest enough to not just settle for, oh, it was hallucination. I just don't think that's. That's how so many secular scholars deal with, like, the miracles of Jesus, the feeding of the mm-hmm. 5,000. And we were talking about this before the podcast, and I just can't wrap my mind around how they would try to give this, like, this naturalistic argument for the feeding of the 5,000 and all these other miracles. Why why do that? Why it, Isn't it so much easier to say, I don't believe this happened? Yeah, exactly. Like, I, like, I, I just don't believe that he made five fish enough for 5,000 people. It It's so weird that they try to come up with these naturalistic claims, which isn't... It's interesting because it seems like they're they're giving at least some authority to the Bible to where it's true, but they have to disprove the miraculous, which is... Mm-hmm. That's really interesting in itself. Yeah, it is. Yeah, when you put it like that, it is. All right, and so now we're going to move on to the fraud theories. So we dealt with the hallucination. Now we're dealing with the fraud. So um, this point, witnesses went to the wrong tomb. <laughs> <laughs> that's a big. Okay. That's a big whoopsie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, obviously, I think Will and I. I think you guys know what we'll say here, but just, <laughs> are we really supposed to believe that th- in three days? Jesus' most devout followers just didn't know where he was buried. And we know that he was buried from John. We know that he was buried in a nice, expensive, big tomb. So even if they're, like, walking there, it's like, which one was it again? Oh, it's the big one. Okay. Yeah, this wasn't, like, some <laughs> graveyard with a bunch of different Mm-mm. graves and they actually With all the epitaph, like what we see today. Yeah, yeah. no. This is, this is a tomb, a big tomb that was reserved. I forget who it is. I'm sure you guys know who's reserved it's, um, for it's, something. It's Joseph of Athenaeus. Reserved? Is right? I don't know. Reserved for him, okay. and he said for them to bury Jesus in his tomb. Mm-hmm. There is, to, mis- to make this mistake would be, I mean, mm-hmm. gosh, I don't even know. Like that. That's all I have to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the rulers should have directed them to the right tomb, right? Yep. Because let's say let's say they don't know where the tomb is. Okay? Let's just say that. They don't know where the tomb is. They run into town. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. The guards are going to check the right tomb. Yep. And honestly, they probably checked all the tombs. <laughs> uh, and so they have to know where it is because you know why? Because they have guards stationed there. And so, just to think that everybody got duped on this tomb being open just doesn't make sense to me. The empty uh, tomb theory it would it just so easily be falsifiable. I mean, even if, let's say the disciples did steal Jesus' body. Now, whatever they did with it, they did something amazing with it to where it still wasn't found 
and they fought for that beliefs knowing where Jesus's body their entire life like and then nobody found wherever the disciples put Jesus's body if they stole it it just if if Jesus was not resurrected this claim of the empty tomb I mean, it would probably be dealt with in a day to prove that Jesus's body is not gone. It's look, it's here, it's in the tomb, or maybe they would storm down and get it from the disciples. Like, it, this would not take. Well, even think about it. Let, let, they steal the body, and then they let, let's say they hide it or bury it. Let, they're gonna bury it somewhere else, even though they stole it. it. Doesn't make sense to me. And you can't even say like. One could say, I guess, like, well, Jesus talked about rising from the dead, so when he died, they stole the body to make it look like he was from the dead. But even in the gospel accounts, the disciples said, I have no clue what this guy is talking about when he says that he's leaving and coming back. Yep. This doesn't make any sense. Yep. But any, but even with that, they're like, oh, okay, we stole the body, now what? And they're like, I guess we can just say he rose from the dead? And they're like, yeah, let's do that. Like, okay, he rose from the dead, rose from the dead, rose from the dead. It doesn't explain James or Paul. It doesn't. Or the 500 independent. You need a theory that accounts for all five. And even, not just one or two. And even back to the disciples, we read how, how they were just so down after after Jesus' crucifixion. It even seemed like they themselves, they did not believe he was going to be resurrected. Even though he told them and to meet them in Galilee, they were just sitting around moping like, now what? Like, they, <laughs> they were not going, like, their attitude... Does one does not show that they were confident in the resurrection, which is yeah. It's not like they were weird. waiting for him to resurrect. They were like, "This is the worst thing ever." <laughs> yep. So, do with that what you will. So uh, that's why we don't think they went to the wrong tomb. And then next is the apparent death theory, and this kind of gets into like again, this guy thinks that like Jesus lived, um, and then died in seventies when he was like I guess like, like seventy ish, which I mean. I guess, but it's a, here. Here's why this doesn't work. The Romans who crucified him, executed him, were professionals at what they did. They, the Romans, if anybody, if anybody ever in all of history, the Romans knew how to kill somebody. Yep. And if someone needed to be dead, they would be dead. Okay. <laughs> so first off, they're they're trained to do this, and second off, we even hear in John's Gospel when when the guards go around. They have, they have the rod and they break the, so Jesus, for those that don't know, Jesus died, right, on a cross, but he died with two other people that were also being crucified that day. So, you, and people like to say, you know, we have the, the thief that was forgiven and the thief that wasn't, right? When the, when the guard comes around, he sees that both thieves are still alive, right? It, it, it's already been hours, you know? And, and a lot of times, um, or not a lot of times, but back in the day, um, the, 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 the Pharisees, uh, they, they, would, they would speed up these processes of people that they would um, kill, and especially execute like this, because they, they didn't want the body to be hanging on the Sabbath, because then you just have a dead body hanging, and you can't really get it down because you can't work on the Sabbath because, you know, uh, you know, they would, <laughs> all their, you know, oral tradition and laws and whatnot. So they did, basically, they didn't want the body up there. And so what the guards would do is they'd go around and they would break the legs of the people that were still alive. So they, so they broke these thieves' legs because when you're on a cross, 
you're, the, the reason you're not dead yet is because with your legs, you're pushing up on the nail that you're, that you're, uh, that, that you're, you know, nailed to the wood on. You're pushing up with your feet so that you can gasp for air in your lungs because your arms are stretched out. So if you're not pushing up to breathe, your, your, lung, your, your lungs, your, they're, they're collapsed in on themselves so you can't breathe. That's how you die. It's, it's by asphyxiation. If not, you know, the torture that you did with before, dealt with before. So he broke the legs of the thieves so that they could stop pushing themselves up so they would eventually suffocate and die. That's the point of it. But in John's gospel, we read that he went over to Jesus and he didn't break his legs. Why? Because Jesus was already dead on the cross. And it's, so it's not like this Roman citizen, this Roman soldier was like, he looks dead. I won't break his ankles. Or I won't yep. break his uh, legs. No. If, if there was any sign of Jesus still being alive, his, his legs are being shattered, right? Because he needs to be dead. Because if he's not dead, then they didn't do their job. And so that's a big piece of information. The second piece of information is John records that after he was dead, to make sure, even after they didn't break his legs... They stabbed a spear up through his ribs and up into him. A spear. And when they do and when and when they stab that, the Roman soldiers, when they stab that spear, John records blood and water all gushing out of his body. Now it's interesting because before the modern era, people wouldn't have caught on to this in the way that we have now, but John records blood and water. Which, it's really interesting, because if Jesus wasn't dead, well, first off, why would there be water? But what, but what we know from modern science now, and, and how the body works in anatomy, is that when you die, you get this, this because your body's obviously not <laughs> producing anymore, you're, you start building up this, like, per, pericardial, I forget how to say it, but this, this kind of fluid builds up in your body, because your body's no longer, you know, working, and no longer beating, and no longer pushing blood. And so all this water just starts filling up in you like a sack in you. And when the Roman soldier stabbed, he punctured that sack and all this water started gushing out. But if Jesus wasn't dead yet, this water wouldn't have filled up and have been stagnant in Jesus. There would have been no water. It would have just been blood if he wasn't dead. And, and I'm not a scientist. And unfortunately, I don't have the scientific terms for you guys right now. But I mean, you can look this stuff up. Just look up why was Jesus, why did Jesus pour out blood and water and 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 you'll get a great explanation for that um and so um any thoughts on that will before i touch on the last little point here i mean like i said a little while ago i mean and like you just said the romans were professionals if jesus was not dead and found that he was still alive those soldiers would be executed, especially yeah, they're dead. <laughs> when they're dealing with the guy who the Jews so violently hate that they had him crucified, even though even Pilate knew that he was an innocent man, that they better make sure this guy's dead. And even before he hung on the cross, we know that he was beaten to where he wasn't even recognizable as a man. That mm -hmm. can you can't even imagine what that looks like i mean even if you've seen the movie the passion of the christ that's not that movie doesn't even show how far it would go for someone to be tortured till they're unrecognizable and it looks pretty bad in the movie now mm -hmm. whether you think that 
it's okay to have made that movie or not. That's not the point. The point <laughs> is what I'm saying is is how far it has gone that for just yeah. to survive this somehow and the guards mess that up is near impossible. Very, very improbable. Yeah. So, but l- l- we could even, let's, l- even a 5% margin would be too much, but let's leave a 5% margin of Jesus being alive there. Jesus gets to the tomb. How on earth is a body like Will described that marred, that tortured? How on earth would he leave the tomb? Like, you know, he's just all beaten up and stuff, and he finally gets laid down, and he's like, "Well, good thing they didn't kill me." And he, and he gets up <laughs> and, ro- and, and, and rolls and rolls the stone himself. It just doesn't make sense, you know. And I mean, I guess you could say, like, "Well, what if he?" W- and this this is like grasping, right? But like, what if he was alive and and they buried him? But then the disciples came and like you said, they fought off the guards and then they rolled the stone <laughs> and Jesus was barely alive. And they were like, "Come on, Jesus!" And they brought him out and then and then Jesus healed or something. I don't know. <laughs> so, anyways, it just doesn't make sense. And again, it, it if it, when the disciples describe a risen Jesus, they they did not describe him like a zombie. <laughs> yep. No, he was in, he was in a he was in a body that was nothing like a body on earth. And so we so they couldn't even pass that off as a uh, as like a like like let's say he was super marred, be like, look, he's risen, and Jesus is like holding <laughs> on to like like, hey guys, it, it just it, you know, they'd be like, are you sure about that? <laughs> so um, it just doesn't make sense. And moving forward. Um, uh, you know, we're, we're going through uh, a PowerPoint right now and, um, we've kind of already talked about it a lot that disciples, the disciples, people that say the disciples stole the body, we, you know, we've already talked about it a lot, but it just doesn't make sense. One, it goes against the disciples character, um, because they were called just, you know, what they learned from Jesus for three years is to not steal and not do stuff like that. Um, but second off, it goes against their character in the sense of they weren't ex- like, they were grieving. They were yep. like, like. I just can't see, you know, them grieving and being like, I'm grieving so hard. I, I want to, I want, I want Jesus' dead body. Um, and again, like we said, not one of them ever confessed that they stole the body. Now, now that's a big deal is that not one of them confessed. It'd be different if, you know, some confessed, some didn't, but you know, we're going to, you know, us as Christians, we're going to believe the ones that didn't, that, 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 you know, held on to the end. No, we don't need to do that because, we have no record of any of them recanting, even unto death, yep. which I think is a huge deal. Um, and uh, again, even if they did steal the body, it doesn't account for James and Paul and the 500, like we talked about, because they steal the body. James still sees a risen Jesus. Paul still sees a risen Jesus. 500 still sees a, see a risen Jesus. The disciples have no motive to lie, especially when you know they're about to get beheaded in some circumstances. It just doesn't make sense. And again, like we said, they got martyred. Um, and we have evidence for the martyrdom, and we'll just we'll touch on this really, really fast. Um, so we have the strongest evidence for martyrdom is um, Peter, uh, uh, James, the half brother of Jesus, and uh, Paul. But I, I have I have more in here as well. Um, so Peter is one of the biggest we know because even uh, Bart Ehrman, who's a leading scholar in the New Testament. Um, uh, works at UNC, um, claimed to have been a Christian earlier in his life, and he isn't anymore. And he says it's because um, of the inconsistencies in the Bible. And so now he's a leading critic in textual criticism and whatnot. But here's what even he says. 
So in his book, Peter, Paul, and Mary Magdalene, the followers of Jesus in history and legend, he agrees that Peter is being told that he will die as a martyr in the Gospels. Other evidence for Peter's martyrdom can be found in early church fathers, such as Clement of Rome, which is still first century, Ignatius, Dionysus of Corinth, Arrhenius, Tertullian, and more. So all these people said that, that Peter died a martyr. Now, we don't know exactly how he died as a martyr, but it's but the early, consistent, and unanimous testimony of everyone at the time is that he did die a martyr, whether it was beheading, um, upside-down crucifixion. You know, we can debate that, but what we do know is that he died as a martyr. James, the son of Zebedee, Luke records his official execution happening around 44 AD. James, the son of Joseph, this is Jesus' half-brother. Josephus records it. He was stoned to death after being shoved off of a building. Um, Paul, um, so early church historian uh, Eusebius uh, records this, uh, that he was beheaded in Rome under Nero. Um, The whole early church also talks about this. And again, like we talked about before, even if this wasn't true, we can look at Paul's own writings and see that he was willing to die. And and, And so Paul was changed so much that he was even willing to die and eventually did for his belief. And we're bringing this episode to a close now where we're talk we're just going to touch on the myths um, that come up when it when when it talks about, you know, Jesus was just copy it was just a copy and paste of another story, right? The disciples, there were all these stories circulating around about these other myths and the disciples just took from those and then made this big story about Jesus, right? And that just doesn't work. Uh, Will, do you want to do you want to touch on that a little bit? Uh, one thing that I do have to say about that is even not even um, talking about the specific myths yet. We can just look at how the writing style of all the books in the New and Old Testament. It is so vastly different from how Greek mythology is written. Greek mythology doesn't give dates and timestamps and long genealogies that are you can verify or long lists of numbers of people and things. This is not common at all in Greek mythology. The amount of detail and the way things are written in the Bible as as a historical writings is so foreign to what Greek mythology would be. So that alone just shows that they're not, they're not here to write another, another myth. Yeah. And, and even like, think about, think about the gospels in the sense of they're not trying to write this big whole narrative. Like if, because think remember the gospels, the gospels isn't just one big story. It's four separate accounts of the same eyewitness testimony. Same as in all these people claim they saw the same thing and they wrote their perspective of it, right? Myths, these, 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 you know, these other stories from these other religions, if you want to call them that, or just myths in general, these stories are huge, drawn out, big, um, you know, stories that these narratives that just go on and on and on and tell the tales and all this stuff and whatnot. In the Gospels, they, it covers a brief section of Jesus's three-year ministry, it covered, and then it covers his death and the fact that he rose from the dead, what they claim. That is completely different. Yep. Second, the Gospels, the inward complexity and depth of Jesus as a person and his, his messianic being and his holy 
God being, you know, the, the fact that he's God and man and how does that interact and the fact and, and, and his words and his message is completely different than things that we would get in myth where we just get narratives about these, you know, heroic stories of these things happening. Yep. Also, Jesus's virgin birth is unique. I mean, this, I'm going to give you an example where people claim that the virgin birth isn't unique, but it is. It is. The disciples did not steal this. The Gospels are surrounded by history. History. Like Luke said, where he brought all these eyewitnesses accounts together. All these Gospels are being written with you, with with intending the fact that you would read this as if it was history. And they want you to read it as history. And they put the virgin birth in there because they're saying this is a part of it. And this is a monotheistic story. <laughs> um, there's only one God in this story, and it's the and it's Yahweh, the God of Israel, right? There's only one God in this story, not multiple, that are all you know vying for each other or working together or doing something. That's not what this is. And Jesus' resurrection is exclusive and unparalleled. You will not find before Jesus or even, I mean, maybe after, you know, people trying to rip off Jesus is what we would say. Um, but before or current, concurrently, nothing. Jesus dying once, dying for others, right? Because he's died for the sins of us. Dying for others. And he died for the redemption of people. You're, you won't get that in another myth. You won't get all those things together. And so I'm, we're just going to use one example for this. So you guys may have heard this um, for those that are in school, or maybe you have um, atheist friends that are very scholarly. Um, they will bring this up a lot, and they'll bring up the, they'll bring up the story of Mithras. Okay, now Mithras um, is claimed to have around the same time have gotten popular as Jesus, where I would contend it was actually after. Um, but the, but atheists will claim that it's around the t- same time or even before, and that the disciple it got popular around that time, and the disciples just stole this story and put Jesus in place. So here are the claims of Mithras. Mithras was born of a virgin on December twenty fifth, attended by shepherds. Mithras considered a great teacher and traveled all through the region. Mithras had twelve disciples. Mithras sacrificed himself for peace. Mithras died and three days later rose again. Sounds a lot like Jesus. And Mithras was known as the great lion, like Jesus being the lion of Judah. Now, if this, if this is true, this, I mean, I, I mean, Will, at least for me, this would be something that I would have to deal with. That yep. if there's another story out here that says all these things, like we celebrate Jesus' birth on the 25th. He, we think that he was a great teacher. He had 12, like 12 disciples. That's really crazy. Died and three days later rose again. That's also crazy. Um, born of a virgin, you know, it's kind of crazy. Worth looking into at the very least. It is, yeah, it's worth looking into at the very least. But what's the truth? Well, <laughs> when you look into it, you get the truth. Like Will and I were talking about earlier. So if you actually read this story of Mithras, and there are a bunch of different versions, by the way, but if you read them, this is what you actually get. Mithras was not born of a virgin. He was born out of a rock. 
which I guess you can say that a rock is a virgin. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, I don't really know how rock, like, sexual anatomy works. But, and then uh, second off, um, shepherds, sh- shepherds attending Mithras' birth was actually added after the New Testament. So people claim that the New Testament stole from Mithras, but actually Mithras stole from the New Testament. Also, not once is Mithras mentioned as a teacher in his story. Mithras had no disciples. There's nothing suggesting that he had disciples. Mithras also never sacrificed himself. He fought a bull. That's what he did. He fought a big bull. And when he fought that bull, he didn't even die. You can't resurrect if you don't even die. And also, um, when it talks about him being the great lion, yeah, that comes from the astrological sign Leo. And so they're trying to relate that, you know, the astrological sign Leo, um, the great lion, and Mithras is a part of that. And and sure, we can grant that, and that can be part of the story. But from, from the manuscripts and whatnot we have, that was after the New Testament. So if you want to make that connection, if anyone's ripping off of anybody, Mithras is ripping off of Jesus. And so here's a quote that I have by Sherry A. Bell, who's a scholar um, about this kind of stuff, um, you know, mythology and whatnot. And she says this, In actuality, there were three versions of Mithras, and not one of them left behind ancient writings outlining the cult's beliefs. Okay, let's get that out. Let's get it. So not one of these versions ever outlined these beliefs of these followers of Mithras. Historians have only been able to piece together bits of the religion using secondhand sources. So right off the bat, that's a disadvantage. The gospel is firsthand, primary source of eyewitness, okay? These are secondhand sources and inscriptions. In the Roman version, which is the big version, the Roman version of the cult, Mithra was not born of a virgin, but sprang from a rock. In other versions, he was created as an adult, That's not Jesus. No proof exists that he had disciples. There's no evidence of self-sacrifice. And there's no indication in any version that he was resurrected. And that is the whole point of Jesus' story. That's the whole point of this podcast, is that he was resurrected. And so this, again, just doesn't make sense. Now, there's other myths and stories that that, um, um, non-believers will relate to and and try to discredit Jesus with. um, uh, I think there's one that starts with an O, like Osirius. Um, I think that's the name. But again, I think if you look into these, um, you'll see that it all ends up like this, is that they cl- it's claimed one thing, but when you actually look into it, it's not that at all. And it, and it just seems, I hope through this whole podcast, it just seems to show that this whole time, all these objections at least to me, all they're doing, it's just grab. It's just trying to find an excuse, trying to find an excuse to not believe that Jesus rose from the dead because if Jesus rose from the dead, then what he said is true. And that means that I have sinned. And that means that I am not good enough. And that means that I am one day going to have to face, face my creator. And I'm either going to be clothed in Christ's righteousness or I'm not. And I don't want to give up my sin. So, uh, Will, what do you have to say about this whole, maybe the whole podcast or, or about the myths? Like, what, what, what are you thinking right now? Uh, this, I think, all together, this 
just shows just how important it is going back to what Paul said about if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then we of all people are to be most pitied that if this didn't happen, that's, that's, I mean, I think after going through this podcast, this shows just how vital the resurrection of Christ is. And like you just said, if Christ is raised from the dead, then the implications of that is what he said was true. He is who he said he is. And that means you're accountable for your sin. And that means if you are not in Christ, then you will be accountable to God on judgment day for your sin. And God will find you, God will rightly find you guilty for your sin. You will have, you will, you will have no just complaint before God of be, of when giving an account of what you have done. And without Christ, we will have to pay for our sin debt which is which is hell and it's a just punishment because we have sinned against a holy and infinite god every single day we have decided to do what we want to do and deny him as our creator because ultimately we love our sin and we are haters of god whether you even think even if you think you are i guess neutral to Christianity or you have no opinion on Christianity that that's a false neutrality because you can't be neutral to the things of God and Jesus said I believe Jesus said you were either for him or you are against him there is no middle ground if you are not for the Messiah then you are against him you cannot be neutral to the son of God to the creator of the universe to the God man, to the to the triune God, you cannot be neutral to something like this. You can be neutral to sushi. You cannot be neutral to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and I'm and and that's and again, that's why we do this podcast for uh, for Christian for believers uh, for e- for the evangelicals listening. You know, we we do this so that you guys can give a better defense, know why you believe what you believe, be strengthened in your faith. And be able to proclaim the news to others that Jesus rose from the dead, and you have a reason why, you know. And for LD, and for if you're if you're an LDS listener, deconstructing LDS listener, faithful LDS listener, you know, we just hope that in this, that you you got you had things to think about wh- whether it came to the evangelical side or not, but also just know that if you ever come to the place where you think that okay the LDS church isn't true. Uh, I've been lied to. I've, I've I've been deceived. What's what's what is there left for me? What we want you to know is that there's the true Jesus. Yep. Don't give up on the true Jesus, because he's there. So if you ever come to a place where you where you, where you think that that church has lied and you want to throw it all away, I would say throw away that version of Jesus, but don't throw away the real version of Jesus. You know, if they lied about. If they lied about so much to you, if you ever come to that point, if they lied about so much, wouldn't it make sense that they also lied to you about him too? Yep. And so we, we, we love you guys. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We know this one was a little bit longer, um, but we think it was needed. And we, we liked stepping away from 
um, Latter-day Saint apologetic um, a little bit, just to give you guys, you know, reason why we believe, and just to talk about how awesome and faithful our God is to show us so easily that Jesus rose from the dead, and that we can trust that. Um, we we ask that you guys please um, like us on Facebook, uh, share us, uh, follow us on Instagram at Came Unto Christ. Um, we've been gaining a little bit of traction. We're so thankful for that, and uh, you know, God is so uh, gracious to us to use us to be able to proclaim his message. And I, I, I want to leave you guys with uh, Revelation 22, 17. Um, the spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come, let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. Come take from the water of life if you haven't yet. And if you have, remember the fact that Jesus offered it with for no cost and you came and drank freely. Uh, We love you guys so much, and thank you for listening again to the Came Unto Christ podcast. We will catch you guys later.